when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. One of the things that's amazing in Scripture is when you look at who God used the most, it seemed to be people that were the most broken. I mean, when Christ came, he had lots of qualified religious people that he could have called to be his disciples. Years of training in the finest schools. And when it, come to knowing, when it came to knowing scripture, oh my, second to none. Do you notice he didn't call one of them? For the same reason that when Samuel was sent by God to anoint the king of Israel and he went into Jesse's house and Jesse had his best sons line up and walk forward. The first one to walk in the door, Samuel said, my, my, what a specimen of kingliness. And God said, eh. Second one walked in, oh, I see why, because this guy has got it going on. God said, eh. And finally Samuel said, God, what you doing? I got a plan. Jesse, you got any more sons? Yeah, David. Man, he's just a ruddy little old guy, though. Man, he's just a worm. Out there with a the sheep, man. He's doing what he needs to be doing, getting away from us, being out there where it's all nasty and smelly-like. Samuel said, go get him. The minute David walked in the door, what did God say? That's the one. The one least qualified was the one God chose. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, then what's the use in trying to be good if God only uses the bad? <laughs> Here's the truth. There are no good. We are all born broken. And unfortunately, religion teaches us how to cover it up with religious performance. How to compensate for that brokenness. Instead of coming to terms with it. But praise God, it doesn't have to be that way. Because the good news is that God has a plan and a purpose for everybody sitting in this room right now. And I'm talking about more than just going out, getting a job, and providing for your family. I'm talking about when you were born, you were born with an eternal destiny that God carved out in all of eternity with your name on it. Yours and yours alone. If heaven is empty in that slot, it's because you did not let God do what he wanted to do in your life to get you there. Every one of us. God does not see us the way we see each other. God does not see us as good, bad he does not see us as great performers, as poor performers. He doesn't see us as in prison or out of prison. He sees us for who we truly are. Much more than we are ever able to see ourselves, God sees us. And there's a wonderful passage of Scripture that points to this reality of exactly what God does know about us and how God sees us. 
If you will, please join me in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I promise if you'll listen quick, I'll shut up quick. Yeah, hey, wait a minute. Some of y'all are like saying, yeah, right. I've heard that before. <laughs> well, I'm broken. Pray for me. In Luke chapter 15, we have the story that's probably everybody in here, if you know anything of Scripture, you could probably say without even having to read the story. The story that Christ has given as an illustration in the prodigal son. As to how much God's heart beats for the broken. For the outcast. And in this story, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, and by the way, if in case you've never seen this, do you realize in this story, the prodigal and the older brother both were broken? It wasn't like one was the good son, one was the bad son. No, they were both broken sons. Do you notice, he gave them both their inheritance. Not just one. I love the way Jesus sneaks up on us. He thinks, we think he's going to come right here. Well, I got you, Jesus. I know where you're going. Boom. Oh, didn't expect you there, Lord. That's kind of personal. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. That's where most of us in the church would go. Right? We got good fingers in the church. We love to use them. Right? Loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving him anything to him. No one was giving anything to him. I said in the first service. One of the biggest things that I have to struggle with in working with uh, offenders and former offenders is dealing with their families. Mamas who want to overprotect their children, daddies who want to overreject their children. And we don't want to see our children get hurt. I know. It breaks our heart to see their hearts broken. But what do we know the truth of what Jesus said? In this world, you will suffer. In this world, you will suffer. As a father, God reminded me that a few months ago. If you know anything about my family, if you know anything about my daughter. She uh, fell in love with horses when she was 12 years old. By the time she was 14, she had worked in a stable, earned the money to buy her own horse. And she and that horse were one. She loved that horse. That horse loved her. She would walk with the horse. She didn't have to have a rein on him or a lead rope on him. He would just put his nose right behind her shoulder, and everywhere she walked, he'd go. She had a very special relationship with that horse. And a couple of months ago... Uh, she was up here visiting. She, her, she took her horse to college with her this past year. Um, by God's grace, she graduated from Emory University, and her horse was in a stable not far from the university, and she took care of the horse when she was down there going to college. Well, she was up here visiting, and we got a call from the head of the stable saying, you need to come. The horse is colicked. 
we've already had the vet in, but, but you need to come down and, and take care of him. So I watched my daughter that night go down and take care of that horse. It was about 7.30 at night by the time we got down there. And she walked that horse around until about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, trying to help that horse get over the colic, doing everything the vet had said to do. The horse was getting worse. And the horse finally collapsed. And we did an emergency call to the vet. And that night, I had to sit and watch my daughter go through an excruciatingly painful experience. Her best friend, she had to walk into a dark pasture to put to death. And she's the one who chose to do it because that is what was best. The vet had told her that is what is best. The horse was poisoning. It was dying of toxicity. His intestine has rupt- had ruptured. I couldn't protect her from that pain. And I thank God I couldn't. Because God had used that dark night in my daughter's soul to teach her incredible things. I would have done anything I could to stop her from having to face that moment. And if God had left it in my hands, I would have done it. Because as parents, that's what we do, isn't it? We can't stop ourselves. But God is a parent that knows what we need even much greater than we as parents know what we need for our kids. And that night, I was powerless to stop my daughter's pain. But you know what? It was okay. Because God, even to this day, is still using that night in her life. She's now living by herself in New Jersey, right outside of Manhattan. Takes trips by herself into the city all the time. Scares me to death. And my natural protective instincts would be to go up there and do everything I could to make sure she never got hurt. Knowing that I'm 12 hours away from being able to get to her, if she needs me, that rips my heart out. But you know what? I'm keeping my rear end in McDowell County because my daughter belongs to God, not to me. And the last thing that I need to do is interfere with what he needs to do in her life by trying to protect her from the very things he's going to use to project her into his destiny for her life. And you notice this father let this young man go into the very thing that would eventually put him on his face. The father let him do it. Why? Because he loved him. Because he loved him. He comes to his senses, the Bible says in 17. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He didn't even give him a chance to beat himself up any. Before his father was loving him up. Now what can we learn from this? We learn an awful lot about God and about the father through what Christ is revealing here. The first thing is this. God knows. God knows. You see, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows me better than I know myself. 
I praise God that he has never let me get away with deceiving myself in the ways that I wanted myself to be. Seems like I got a mom who prays for me, and she gets great delight in seeing me squirm, I think, because she just keeps... I know her favorite prayer is three words. God, get him. She's been praying her whole life, and God's been doing it my whole life. I can't get away from him. I mean, mom, would you shut up? Just let me have a few moments of peace over here just in my own self-indulgence. But now she got to pray. God's spent his whole life messing me up. And I wouldn't trade a day of it. You see, God knows us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. Because we are born in shame. We are born with a hole inside of us. Needing to be filled with acceptance. That's why when a child is born, mom and dad have to hold him. And if mom and dad aren't holding him, what does he do? He cries and he pitches a fit and he manipulates mom and dad into holding him. Why? Because even as a two-day-old child, there's a hole inside of that child. And that child is going to manipulate and do everything it can to try to get somebody to meet the needs that that hole has created in his soul. We are born Holy people of the wrong persuasion. We are born with a hole inside of us, filled with shame, desperately needing somebody to tell us we're okay. That's brokenness. And then depending on the feedback we get from people, that tells us whether we're okay or not. You know how to know you got shame? Let me ask you a question. How do you respond to people when they criticize you? Well, pastor, I just eat it up, man. I love it. Come on, somebody give me some criticism, please. I live to be told I messed up. Let's see how honest we can be in the house of God today. How many has ever struggled with defensiveness? I was worried there for a minute, Dave. I thought I was in heaven. Nobody's going to raise their hand. If you're breathing, you struggle with defensiveness. You know why? Because you also struggle with shame. And defensiveness is the fruit of shame. If I did not struggle with a hole inside of me that was drawing value out of me, then why in the world would I be defensive if somebody had something to correct me and that could help me? If you're defensive, you have a shame problem. If you're reactionary, you have a shame problem. If you're angry, you have a shame problem. If you're driven, you have a shame problem. If you like to shop, you have a shame problem. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> maybe for some of you, I don't know. Addiction is driven by shame. Trying to cover it up, trying to medicate the pain of that shame constantly throbbing inside the soul. God knows. The father knew more about the brokenness of his son than his son knew about his own brokenness. God knows more about our brokenness than we do. The father knew his son. He knew exactly what was going on in him. He knew exactly what it would take to reach him. And he knew exactly where it would leave him to reach him. Because the father also knew more about what is necessary. To bring us face to face with our brokenness. Folks, one of the biggest things killing the church today is it seems like brokenness has become a dirty word. It's almost like if you got zits, somehow you're not as worthy of God. 
Well, I just told you, it's the opposite that is true. If you can let your zits shine, you are more worthy of God. Do you know why? Because every one of us has zits. Yeah, I just saw some of you. No, I don't. You know how much money I spend on my complexion? Sorry, they're there. They're just underneath the skin. Where you're hiding them. You know why you hide them? Because you're worried about somebody's going to think if they see them. Right? If you got a blemish, you want to cover it up. Why? Because what will somebody think of it? Well, you can go get medicine now to cover up anything so that other people will think of you as okay. Do you see that, folks? Are you using God as a shield? From the truth of your own heart? Are you coming to church in religious performance to somehow feel worthy to be able to pray to God? Let me tell you something. I'm a recovering religious addict. I understand what it's like to be driven to perform for God so you can feel worthy to be accepted by Him. When you look up religious addiction in the dictionary, my, my picture is right there. Like I said, I grew up around this church. I grew up around religion. I grew up getting a message through my brokenness that God loves those who do what they're supposed to do. And I was determined that that's what I was going to do with my life. So when I was in high school, I didn't smoke, drink, or chew or hung out with other girls who do. I was Mr. Performance. I learned to play the trumpet. I got to play well. People clapped. I played better. People clapped more. I learned how to become a performance addict for God. Why? Because deep inside I was broken. I had zits and I was scared to death. If anybody ever saw them, that they were going to see me for the shameful person I really am. Now, did I, did I know that? Was I thinking that? No. I went on into ministry and for 13 years I saw God do miraculous things. But never was never enough. I always needed to do more. I always needed to be more in order to keep God happy with me. Because deep inside, I was scared to death of God seeing my broken places. And yet God created this very body to be a place where we can come and let our brokenness out. That's why he chose 12 very broken men to go to the world and say, if he can love us, he can love you. And unfortunately, today in the church, what have we done? We've turned around and did the same thing the Pharisees did in that day. We've made it about performance again. We've made serving God about what you do instead of who you know. We've made God more about knowing the right stuff, learning the right stuff, and living the right stuff, rather than knowing God, knowing God, knowing God. Ladies, how many of you would marry a man that gave you a book on himself and asked you to read it so you could get to know him and then after you got done reading the book said, now come and marry me? How many of you would marry that man? Hey, baby, here's a book I wrote on myself. Will you please read it and when you're done, I want you to marry me. How many of you ladies would marry a man that you read a book about? How many of you men would marry a woman you read a book? I'm not going to ask that question because you probably would. As long as it had pictures in it. Man, we're just desperate. Oh, yeah, baby. 
Isn't that what we tend to do with God? See, this is a Bible conference, but be careful that you don't worship the Bible instead of the God who's about. Don't try to learn about him. Use this book as a way to get to know him. That's what this book is for. It's not for you to grow in some kind of knowledge that you can then espouse and impress other people with knowing. It's a book that leads you to the heart of God. But you cannot go to the heart of God unless you're, letting God will, unless you're willing to let God expose your heart. Because I cannot get to know you any better than how much I'm willing to get to know myself before you. That's what makes our marriages so destroyed. A man and woman get married and they stop getting to know each other. They've done the deed, now they're on with life. And they stop spending time with each other. Really seeking to continue to grow in relational depth with each other. It becomes all about performance and what you're supposed to do, right? And that's what we've done to God. The father knew his son. He knew what it would take to break him. He knew the true need that would be exposed. Here's the deal. Christ knew that the father was already preparing the son for forgiveness and letting the son be exposed in his brokenness. He knew his son. And when he gave him that money, he knew exactly what his son would do. And he let him go. And he let him do it. Now don't hear me saying, go out and just kick your kids out of the house and just let them squirm and burn until God moves in their life. That is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, let God be God in their lives. Do not use your children as a crutch for your security, parents. Let God be your security and let your children go to him and be used according to his will. The father knows, but God also loves. And here's what's so cool. He loves us freely. The father did not withdraw his love from his son when his son withdrew his inheritance from his father. Do you see that? What was the posture of the father towards his son, even after his son had left? Even when he knew, he got reports back, he knew what his son was doing, and yet he never stopped loving and looking for his son. Never. That's awesome, isn't it? You know what that means? God knew David. When David was a 14-year-old boy, before he ever got introduced to heroin, God knew David. God loved David. And God went nowhere when David went everywhere. But to God, God stayed there seeking, waiting, searching, drawing David. And 30 years later, in that hospital bathroom, David got to know himself before God. God loves us freely. God loves us faithfully. The father watched with determined perseverance. He did not quit. Romans tells us that nothing can separate us from God's love, right? Nothing. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 8, that God has demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. The final point is this. God knows, God loves, but here's the best news. God runs. Squire Parsons used to sing that old gospel song, He Came to Me. He came to me when I couldn't come to where he was. 
He came to me. That's what the Father does. When you're willing to come, to get real with your life, to get real with your struggles, to stop blaming other people for the brokenness of your heart, which is something we love to do so well. If my mama hadn't done this and my daddy hadn't done this, look, when we grow up, we're going to get hurt. You know why? Because our parents are hurt too. Our parents are broken. They're going to break us. I told my kids, I said, God gave you me as a father because he knew how much I needed to mess you up so you'd have to turn to him to get fixed. And I did. I failed my children in a lot of ways growing up. But I have confidence in God more than in fear concerning them because I know that God is God and I know what God can do in all of our lives. Do I struggle with that? Absolutely I struggle with it. But the only way to overcome struggles is through honesty. Through being willing to look to God and to your own heart. In our ministry we have a mirror that we use, a big mirror. And we ask our clients to stand in front of that mirror. And the thing that we tell them is this. The only person in your life that can defeat you is not people, not family, not circumstances, not a job, not a house. The only thing that can defeat you in your life is what you're looking at in the mirror right now. I'll never forget a preacher who one time said... If you're having a problem with somebody, the problem doesn't start with them. It starts with you. Well, you don't know what they're doing. You don't know. Yes, I don't know. I don't need to know. I do know this, though, that when God has my heart and his heart and his love consuming me in authentic intimacy, you can call me a dirty, lily-livered worm belly, and I am going to be okay. But when I need you to treat me a certain way so I can feel respected, so then I can love you, I have a problem. And that problem begins with me. What's killing our marriages is husbands are demanding that their wives be what the husbands need them to be so the husbands can feel like the men they need to feel like. And when the wives aren't doing what the husbands need them to do, then the wives get blamed for the husband's brokenness. And the husband's thinking, if I could just find me another woman that'd make me feel the way I need to feel, then I would be okay. And we got women that are doing the same thing to their husbands. If my husband would pay me more attention, if my husband would, if my husband would, if my husband would, if my husband would. And the problem is, your husband can't give you what only God can. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to be able to love and respect each other. But if I am in love and in respect with God in my own heart, then even if you don't respect me, I can still give you respect. That is the power and authority of the transformation that the Spirit of God can bring into every life that's willing to stop making excuses and start opening up their hearts and allowing God to search us to the very core of truth of our own brokenness. Now, brokenness is not something negative. This is not a negative message saying, oh, you poor broken people. No, it's saying, yes, I'm broken, God. Thank you that I saw the light. Now turn it on and make it bright because I am broken. So come on, God, let's get busy. When was the last time you gave God permission to expose your zits? It's quiet, Stace. Are you coming to church to see your zits? Or are you coming to church to hide from them? If I do enough for God, 
then he won't look at my zits. Wrong. There's nobody in this world that's tried to do everything for God that I could. At 32 years old, he pulled out the zit map. And he showed me where they were. At 32 years old, after 13 years of, in full-time ministry, God showed me how little I knew of him. Oh, I could quote you his book. But knowing his book doesn't mean you know God. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you let him love you? This place is a place of truth, a place of life, a place of prayer, a place where we can come to God and be healed, a place where we can come to God and be transformed. Are you letting God do that in your life? It's the most fantastic journey you'll ever take. God loved his son. God's son loves us enough to die for us so that we can love God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that people can't hurt us. I deal with men and women every day who've been deeply hurt by people. But the key to healing begins in my own capacity to come to God with my pain and to let him help me find healing his way, not my way. He loves us so much. When you walked in here today, what did you walk in struggling with? When you came here today, what did you need God to do in your life? He loves you. And he wants to bring you like this son out of your brokenness into his loving embrace. What do you need God to do in your life today? We're going to close the service by singing a song. And as we do, I want to leave you with that question. What do you need God to do in your life today? This altar is going to be open. Are you letting him help you get real with the love of the prodigal father over his son? You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to be ruled by shame anymore. You can walk out of here today all in a whole new way. Because the greatest news that we have in life is that God is with us even when we don't feel like he is. He is with us. He loves us. He cares for us. He desires us. And if we'll let him, he will set us free of whatever we need to see in our lives. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.